Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, May 20th. We begin with a look at the massive impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on jobs in our country. Yesterday, the provincial government announcing its plan to get jobs back on track. But what about federally? We're hearing some details on a new study suggesting now is the time to roll out a national plan with a strong focus on targeted training. What is your outlook on the upcoming summer? Are you optimistic on what summer 2021 will look like? Or do you take more of a pessimistic view? From festivals to travel and even indoor gatherings, we get details on a new Ipsos poll which digs into the topic. There are staples in many communities around the city, but a lot of them have had to close their doors. Another victim of the COVID pandemic. So we're going to look at the state of local community associations and what can be done to keep them afloat. And finally, it's a family-friendly way to keep the gang entertained through a rainy, long weekend. We hear all about Storybook Theater's final virtual show of the season, The Smartest Girl in the World. 609, it's mornings with Sue and Andy. With thousands of Canadians being laid off in the past year due to COVID, is now the time to explore government-funded, targeted uh, training to help people get back to work. We saw the province announce yesterday that it, it is investing $370 million to help companies pay for training for new employees. The Institute for Research on Public Policy has a new study on looking at the concept. We're joined by study author Kelly Pazzoli to discuss the findings. Good morning to you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, the new study, Skills Training That Works, Lessons from Demand-Driven Approaches, argues that there's a place for publicly funded job training programs. How did you come to that finding? Um, so the way that we came to that finding was we um, really wanted to dig into the existing research on the effectiveness of uh, skills training programs that could help people find good jobs. So um As everyone today knows, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the employment of a lot of folks. This is on top of those who were struggling to find work pre-pandemic or um, who know that they might be looking at transitioning into a new career path in future. So we wanted to dig into the research to understand, is skills training a solution that can help more folks find employment? At first glance, the research is pretty mixed. So some programs seem to work, but others don't. When you dig in a bit deeper, what we found is that the programs that are aligned with employers' needs, so those that help build skills that employers who are hiring are looking for, tend to be most effective. So one of the key recommendations from our study is that governments and skills training providers should work on building strong partnerships with employers to design programs that align with employer needs and ultimately help people prepare for the careers that are available. So how does that relate then to yesterday's news from the provincial government here in Alberta? Would you agree with the approach Alberta's taking that paying up to 25% of a new employee's wages for the first year of employment to try and get businesses bringing more people into the fold? So I'm definitely still learning about this new investment and reading up on some of the details of the program. But one of the things that's really interesting about this program is that it's providing the funding directly to employers for hiring and training of new workers. So it's really putting the impetus on employers to figure out what training is needed. Um, One of the things that we recommend in our study is that governments test out new kinds of skills training programs and then collect good evidence to see how well they're working. So it'll be really interesting to see what evidence might be shared in the coming months and years about how well this new program is working. Yeah, you know, there's going to be, you've got to play devil's advocate here. There's going to be people out saying government involved once again, government money to fix a problem, which is ultimately our money as taxpayers. 
what, what do you say about that as far as your research? Do we get that investment back, um, you know, down the line with having more of our friends and neighbors and former colleagues uh, back at work? Yeah, I, I think what we really found in our study is that it, it can be a really worthwhile investment. And um, having myself been born and raised in Alberta and still having many friends and family members in the area, I know that, um, you know, even prior to the pandemic, the changes to Alberta's economy are having a really human impact. And I think skills training is one of the key ways to help a lot of the folks who might be struggling right now. Are there other countries right now, Kelly, that are are doing something similar or something different that might be working better? Your thoughts on that? So um, compared to other countries, Canada has really strong education systems, our K-12 and post-secondary education systems are really doing a great job of, of giving Canadians some of the foundational skills that they need to succeed in the labour market. But relative to other countries, the programs and supports that we have available for working adults, um, especially um, mid-career adults, are, are not as strong. And I think that there's a lot that we could learn from other countries that are making more investments in designing and delivering high-quality programs to help those who are unemployed or underemployed later in their career. And is this going to be, do you think that something like this set up uh, is, is best done, that these industries step forward and say, hey, we want to take part? Or, or do you think that they have to be chosen by some sort of a panel? Um, so I, I, one of the findings for sure from our research is that um, skills training is most effective when it's lined up with the needs of employers and what's happening in the labor market. So um, I think that it's really important that um, whatever skills training programs are offered, that they provide that kind of direct path and direct connection into a labor market need so that um, especially for individuals who are later on in their careers and might be hesitant to retrain or go back and learn new skills, knowing that it's a good investment and could lead to good career prospects for them, um, I think that's really important. When I hear skills training, I think sort of more hands-on work that you do with your hands. Is that not, not ne- or is that the case? Is that not necessarily the case? Um, it, it definitely could be the case. Um, but when I'm talking about skills training and the way we talk about it in our paper, um, really we mean any kind of training that's geared towards helping those who are unemployed or underemployed gain new skills that could help them prepare for a new career. So it could be... Um, a lot hands-on training to um, learn about uh, the skills that they might use in a new workplace and a new type of industry, but it could also be um, skills training to help build soft skills or um, kind of more general transferable skills that could help workers um, no matter what types of jobs they might be taking on. Interesting concept and an interesting time. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. That is uh, Kelly Pizzoli, study author and director of policy and program design at Blueprint. Very interesting. It is an interesting conversation, and it really is quite timely with the yesterday's announcement by the the Kenny government with the Alberta Jobs Program and and what they're trying to do, trying to get people back to work because the unemployment rate here in this province is has skyrocketed through the pandemic. Well, and you know, I, I like what she says, and I what I take from that is. You've got to go to these specific industries and specific jobs to see what their need is versus just throwing money. Mm-hmm. Because, you know what, if you're thinking about, you know, I want to go and print newspapers. Well, newspaper, that ship has sailed. We, we know we, we have to look at, 
you know, 2021 and those needs, and particularly not just now, but what is going to be needed in 10 years? But those detractors who say, you know what, we're throwing more money. Well, I I suggest we've thrown a lot of money, not thrown because that sounds like it wasn't needed. Uh, But this in, in this case, we are empowering those existing companies, and it's not just a blank check. So the investment is a, is more solid, and uh, particularly if, if people are interested, they will get the specific training, and they'll have something for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, employers who want to bring people on and have the government help pay for that, employers can apply through an application portal that starts, is today the 20th? Yeah, it is. It's as of yep. 9 a.m. this morning. And then those applications for this first round will be accepted through till August 31st. So if this applies to you and at your business and you can bring some people back, this might be a great way to do it. Great opportunity and uh, move ahead. 642 now and joining us is Sean Simpson, the vice president of Ipsos. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Uh, You guys have uh, some new polling done exclusively for Global News. Let's talk about it. Despite the Canadian vaccine rollout ramping up to full speed, it doesn't look like Canadians are terribly optimistic about what this summer is going to look like. So can you break down the numbers for us? Yeah, sure. Canadians have uh, realistic expectations uh, for the summer. And I'm calling them realistic because we're really only about 30% of the way through our our vaccine uh, rollout with about 19 million first doses uh, already administered. So in light of that context, uh, 70% uh, think this summer will be a disappointment given what is likely to be ongoing uh, COVID restrictions. Uh, You know, not a whole lot to do. Um, uh, Lockdowns still happening in some parts of of the country. And, uh, you know, it looks like uh, we have uh, another summer of, uh, of Groundhog Day, <laughs> kind of like it was last year. Well, what about our thoughts on travel this year, Sean? What are Canadians saying? Yeah, the vast majority uh, aren't, aren't even uh, considering travel outside of either the province or Canada. Uh, 26% would consider traveling outside of their province. Uh, only 15% would travel outside of Canada. Now, interestingly... Uh, Albertans are the most likely 43% to say that they plan to travel outside of the province. So maybe some trips through the mountains over to BC or, 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 or moving east uh, towards the, the other prairie provinces. Mm-hmm. We know there's been some pressure on President Biden in the U.S. to start talks about reopening the border. What are you hearing in terms of that? Are, are Canadians ready for that U.S.-Canada border to reopen? Well, I would have thought that they might be a little more more um, amenable to that situation, given how well the vaccine rollout is going in the United States, particularly in the northern states. Uh, but that is just simply not the case. Uh, only uh, only 25 percent of Canadians think that given the situation in the United States, it's safe to reopen the border, meaning that the vast majority of 75 percent continue to support uh, these uh, these ongoing border closures. What about, you know, you say it's kind of like Groundhog Day, but I know that a lot of uh, different cities and communities looking to bring back those events and festivals uh, that they'd normally be celebrating. A good example of that, Sean, obviously the Calgary Stampede. What are Canadians Mm -hmm. thinking about the, the safety of larger gatherings this summer? Well, when it, it comes to uh, indoor festivals or, or events, museums, etc., most Canadians aren't, aren't really entertaining that, uh, that possibility that they don't feel safe in an indoor environment. Now, outdoors is a little bit of a different story. We're up to about 45% uh, who say that they would feel 
safe attending an outdoor public festival or event. The, the stampede would certainly count among that. Within Alberta, 45%, same as the national average, saying that they're comfortable. So still a majority um, being hesitant, uh, being cautious, but certainly uh, we're approaching you know what might be a critical mass of people who, who are ready to re-engage, and that's particularly driven by, by younger people. Well, let's hope those that are optimistic are on the right path and we can uh, hope and see a great summer this year. Thanks so much for joining us with the findings, Sean. Appreciate it. My pleasure. That is Ipsos VP Sean Simpson. I think personally, I'm optimistic. I think you have to be optimistic. And I think that we have taken steps and we've been in this. And yeah, we're sick of talking about it. We're sick of the on again, off again when it comes to schools. But you can say the restaurants, the same, every industry. Well, the, you know, my, my wife goes, you know what? I would, it's one of those things where I would just kill to have my nails done right now. <laughs> and I'm like, it's the little things because that's yeah. not a necessity. That's a need. But we've just you know, being again, able to again. hang out openly and happily with family yeah. and friends, whether it's at your house or at a restaurant or whatever it might be. So I'm curious as to how you out there are feeling about this summer. Are you feeling optimistic about it or maybe not so much? Let us know. Text lines open for your thoughts at 403-974-8255. And I think that I think that the fact that we have over 50% of the province uh, vaccinated now, that bodes well. Very well. I think the fact that, you know, we are uh, seeing more and more enforcement when it comes to the uh, anti-mask movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you're doing what you can. We just have to be kind and, and get through this. My thoughts anyway. Mornings with Sue and Andy. They exist to build a sense of belonging and provide spaces for people to gather for small art shows, weddings, and family gatherings. But many in Calgary are on the brink of shutting down. We're talking about community associations around the city of Calgary, and we're joined now by Leslie Evans, Executive Director of the Federation of Calgary Communities, to discuss the situation. Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning, Andy and Sue. How are you this morning? Good, good. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I'm wondering, can you break it down, just how bad the situation is right now for many of our community associations? Well, not unlike most small businesses, they've been shuttered uh, since the start of the pandemic. They were able to open up, uh, you know, for a couple of uh, weeks or months, but really they've been shut down with no source of income. Community associations are those local neighborhood um, volunteer groups that run things like your community hall, ice rinks, basketball courts, of which they fundraise and build and maintain uh, all on, you know, fundraised dollars. So they're really struggling. So through the pandemic then, Leslie, is it the fact that they've not been able to do fundraising and not being able to invite the community in to these associations? Yes, oftentimes their fundraising is renting out their hall mm-hmm. or offering programs uh, for a fee. And so without any of those activities happening, they have no operating dollars uh, to actually pay for things like utilities, uh, gas, electricity, insurance. And uh, they still have to maintain those amenities uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, a year. Leslie, what are you hearing about the associations? What are, what are some of them doing to overcome the issues? Well, you know, we, we have such a dedicated group of volunteers. About 20,000 Calgarians actually volunteer with their local community association. They've been super innovative. They've been hosting online gatherings uh, when they can. They run their, I mean, they're gearing up for community gardens. Uh, anything that they can do within the limits of the, the uh, restrictions, they are trying to be creative and just trying to build that sense of community and belonging 
so many Calgarians are isolated, and that notion of having neighbours is probably more important now than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. With the province cutting funding to the community associations in the last budget, how much did that hurt? Well, that funding is actually capital funding. So it hurts in the sense that they're using reserve funds right now to just operate reserve funds that need to be used to, you know, uh, do a life cycling of capital, roofs, furnaces, windows, uh, to keep those buildings places where people can and want to go. And so with a huge cuts to, to provincial capital money, uh, it, it, puts in peril their ability to life cycle and maintain those buildings going forward. So it's a double whammy. Not only has the pandemic hurt their normal uh, abilities to be self-sufficient in the sense that they earn their own revenue, but um, in terms of million-dollar roofs and that, it, it, it's added to the questionability about how viable they can be in the future. You mentioned the the importance of the volunteers when it comes to our many community associations in the city. So those people are in the know and they know what's going on. But what what can everybody else do to help at this point? Any, Any suggestions? You know, I would say every Calgarian has a vested interest in their local community association. And, uh, you know, whether you go there or not, those community associations are, are working on quality of life, traffic flow, schools, um, talking about urban planning issues with their counselor. So get involved, buy your membership, uh, donate if you can, uh, your time your money um, and just be part of community. Local community is important. Well, you know, that that old we're in this together really does stand true and and that you're right. We would just need to join these. If we have the money and are able, join the community associations. You're in it. You're part of it. You never know what you're going to get out of it. And it may certainly help keep it alive. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Leslie. You're welcome, Sue and Andy. Have a great day. You too. That is Leslie Evans, Executive Director of the Federation of Calgary Communities. What's interesting is at the very top of the pandemic, my son, it was his birthday, going to be two years old, and we thought, well, might be fun to kind of maybe do like a superhero theme or, or something of that nature. And so uh, we thought, well, what, what could we do? Our community center in our in our uh, hood just renovated. It's beautiful. So mm-hmm. found this little room. They have the conference rooms you can book. Some of them are big for weddings. Some of them are smaller for meetings and gatherings. So we booked it. His birthday is April 3rd. And obviously everything that came down last year was uh, very beginning of March and started, oh, we're holding on and holding on. And yeah, you know, finally we had to cancel it. And it was interesting dealing with the cancellation because we had to put a deposit on and it was tough to catch up with people. And then you realize, oh, their hours are two hours a day in the community hall because they're volunteers. They're, volunteers yeah. they're taking time out of their jobs. Yep. They're working from home. Um, so so they're kind of the unsung heroes, first of all. But second of all, you don't know you need your community center until you need your community center. It's so true. Whether it's, hey, I want to take that art class. Oh, it happens. You ne- maybe never set foot in your community center, and, and now you are. And you might be shocked, too, when you join your community uh, association that you also get discounts at a lot of the businesses yes. in your area that, you know... It pays for itself just with that, you know, whether it's the ice cream place around the corner that you can take your kids to through the summer, you know, why not? And be part of it, support our community association. I live in Coventry is fantastic. I mean, we've got a community garden. We've got, you know, a community pantry. They just raised enough money to, we built an ice rink. Yeah. This we've got, we're, they built a basketball court. So, you know, it's a way to reach everybody in the community to make you feel like, can I, you know, you're, you're part of it. You're, you are in it together and there's lots that you can get out of it. So uh, it's worth it to try and keep it alive. You know, because, because your community center can be as fantastical as you want to put into it and get your neighbors sure. together. I want to give a tip of the hat because 
I have a little bit of a community association envy. Uh, the community of Parkland, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice and you live in Parkland, you might be able to tell us more about it on the text line. Or, of course, may, maybe you've been like I have and, and kind of just moved into that community for a festival because they have something called Park 96. And it's kind of this, this, this park on the side of a hill that kind of goes down toward uh, Bow Bottom Trail. Okay. Beautiful little park, and they have a stage there. And I've driven by it my whole life because I've lived in the South. Well, one year I, I started to see on social media about this concert, and it's like the Park 96 Festival in the park or something of that nature. They have incredible bands. In fact, I believe Blue Rodeos perform there. Really? I saw the Northern Pikes and Odds. I think that Colin James has. At a little community and venue. This, well, the community center, I think it was 40 or 50 bucks a ticket. Um, they had a beer garden. They had uh, uh, events for the kids. And it, all it t- takes, I mean, obviously you have to spend a couple bucks to get these people here. All it takes is the, the minds of the community members to say, let's do something special. Sure. Um, so the sky is the limit and uh, do what you can to keep them alive. That's really cool. I love that. And, you know, speaking of, it was announced earlier this week that the community of the year in Calgary is Seton. So it was a neighborhood just awarded Calgary's best community of the year. And, you know, maybe do they have bands. I don't know. Probably they've got everything else. Uh, They won the Build Calgary Best Community of the Year annual award presented to the city's most livable communities and best places to call home. So if you're in Seton, well, you're in the place to be uh, aiming to be the pulse of the south they call Seton. Um, It has pretty much everything. It's the only community in the entire city to combine residential, medical, commercial, office space, recreation, and more in a very unique way. So congratulations to the community of Seton and all of you lucky ducks who live there. If you, yeah, if you haven't driven down to Seton, yeah, you know, anybody can make that drive. There's I'd no need to pack a lunch from my end if, of the city, but, but I'm looks, going to. It looks futuristic, Is it? what they've yeah. done. And you can see in the uh, in the article that you have here, it's got this neat architecture around not so much the community square, but really close to the hospital, uh, that retail space. And, and with the why they've got down there, apparently uh, because I've been in that hospital. Um, yeah, that's another thing. They've got the new brand new hospital brand new down hospital. there too. Uh, they, they have a climbing wall there, which is kind of like a satellite office of the Y. And then they open the biggest YMC in the history of the world, like kind of uh, blocks away from there. And Calgary's first walls. VIP Cineplex movie theater, where I believe you can get wine while you're sitting in watching when they reopen Sue, (laughs) i'll meet you there storybook theater's last show of their season the smartest girl in the world opens online may 21st it focuses on the richness of the latinx culture and introduces the talents of latinx calgary artists with all the details we're joined by the show director javier velalta good morning to you javier hi good morning well tell us about the story of the smartest girl in the world so The Smartest Girl in the World is a play produced by Storybook Theatre. It was written by um, playwright Miriam Gonzalez, and it tells the story of a Latinx immigrant family that lives somewhere in uh, North America. And they are doing it not very well financially. The parents need to work very hard uh, to support their family uh, because of lack of opportunity. But they have two very bright uh children. One is called Lizzie, the little girl, and then one is called Leo, the little guy. And they come up with a plan. They will study very hard and then uh, get into a quest show to um, win the quest show and perhaps uh, win a lot of money and become really famous and then be able to support their parents. And that's the basic premise of the show. I love it. Smart idea from these kids. And Javier, I understand the lead is 11 years old. Come on. 
Uh, she's actually, she was actually, ten, I think she turned 11, but she was actually 10. Wow. When she filmed this, and it was the first time that she was ever on stage, and she's in every single scene. She is a revelation. She was so disciplined, and she's so talented, and I think just because of her performances, this is worth watching. Javier, let's talk about that, because Calgarians know and love storybook theater, but we're used to watching it live. So can you talk about the challenges of uh, bringing that feel uh, that it's live to something that you had to pre-tape when, you, when you're used to, you know, perhaps the live theater element? Yes, and this is groundbreaking for storybooks because a lot of theater companies just had to shut down because of the pandemic. So they had to cease operations because there was no other way to produce. But uh, the storybook team decided that, no, they would, we're going to go ahead and produce a full season of plays that they actually were going to tape and uh, do a full production of and then uh, record and then stream it for uh, audiences, which is, has given a lot of opportunities for um for both artists and audiences to keep them being engaged with the performing arts and theater specifically in Calgary. This is the fourth production they have done this season, and I think that the uh, effort has been tremendous for them to actually showcase that there is a space um, for the performing mm-hmm. arts that it can be, you know, um, also uh, uh, streamed, and uh, it's very valuable, and I feel like uh, the the effort that they have put in is, is uh, really commendable. Well, we really hope as of next year you'll be back live on stage and we can all enjoy, but for the meantime, this is a, a really fantastic way to be able to, to share and enjoy the show. I, I love it. It sounds like it's going to be really fun. Young people, adults, everybody's going to like it. So the uh, best way to get our tickets, just go on storybooktheater.org. That's correct, yeah. And the show opens May 21st, and it runs into June, and uh, it's for a specific time. Uh, this is a very, very good opportunity to learn more about the Latinx family and also um, to uh, learn about a story that relates to dreams uh, that we all have about uh, how to be uh, successful, but also how to be closer to our family. So it's a very good show to watch uh, with our families all together. So yeah, May, starting May 21st, storybook.org. Good stuff. We'll be tuning in. Thanks so much, Javier. Thanks so much. That is show director Javier Valalta.